Welcome to the VaxUp Podcast, a podcast that shines light on health organizations who use social technologies to get accurate vaccine information to their communities. This show is brought to you by the Bay Area Global Health Alliance and the Sabin Vaccine Institute, both members of the Alliance for Advancing Health Online. VaxUp is produced by the team behind a Shot in the Arm podcast. And now here's our host, global health strategist and advocate, Ben Plumley. And let me add my welcome to this episode of the VaxUp podcast, where we profile interesting collaborations to promote vaccine confidence through the use of digital and social outreach. And in this episode, we are going to East Africa, to Kenya and Tanzania to meet the Nairobi-based, internationally renowned Shoe Jazz Network, which uses a range of social media and graphic novels to reach young people in Kenya and Tanzania and provide accessible, enjoyable health-related content. A grantee of the Vaccine Confidence Fund, the Shoe Jazz team in this project teamed up with Bay Area Global Health Alliance member Upswell to use the latest techniques in evaluating social media campaigns, and the results are impressive. As usual, we will look at how the lessons learned can be implied in other settings across the world, particularly in low-income and marginalized populations. So, let me start by introducing our panel today. Firstly, Farida Nzilani, a digital manager at ShuJazz. Now, she's responsible for overseeing the functions of ShuJazz, covering strategic development, content planning, community management, SMS channel management, and data analysis. Welcome to VaxUp, Farida. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm so glad to be here. Farida is also joined by ShuJazz's managing director, Bridget Deacon. And before moving to Kenya in 2006, Bridget worked at the BBC in the UK, specialising in youth television drama. In Kenya, Bridget created and produced the Kenyan children's educational TV show, The No Zone, before she moved over to ShuJazz. Now, I should also say that in another capacity, I'm co-chair of the MTV Staying Alive Foundation, and I know ShuJazz is an extremely valuable partner to the foundation. So, Bridget, it's a real honour to have you joining us today. And you too are calling in from Nairobi, right? That's right, Ben. Real pleasure to be here from Nairobi. So, the project also included the amazing creativity of Bay Area-based Upswell, and I'm really delighted that one of its founding partners, Drew Bernard, is with us today. Hey, Drew, where are you calling in from? I'm actually in Portland, Oregon. So, kind of north, north... North Bay Area. That's a joke. It's important. That's a new one for me. North Bay Area. (laughs) Love it. And last, and by no means least, we are joined by the Sabin Boost community's Green Sadru. Green is an immunization technical advisor working at JPIGO in immunization and vaccine development, IVD. And he's based in Dar es Salaam, where he joins us today. Green, it's a real pleasure for us to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you very much, Ben, and it's nice to join with you today. Well, this is the first section of the podcast where we talk about the challenge that the project uh, sought to address. But I wonder, you're all in different places, different time zones. I wonder, have you ever actually met or has it all, all been virtual? Farida, I guess you've been the, um, the, the, the manager of this. How have you managed it? Well, um, we've actually met virtually, but of course, because I work uh, 
closely with Bridget, she's my colleague, I see her every other day. I saw her yesterday physically. Um, I know that I was in a, a virtual conversation with uh, Drew sometimes last year as we were starting those conversations. We were actually trying to have a call on Skype on Christmas Eve. But yeah, but I've not met, I've not met Green. I'm, I'm meeting Green for the first time today. Fantastic. I wonder, um, and, and this is something I think we'll come, through, come back to through the course of this podcast, whether uh, the COVID lockdowns have actually been a force of innovation to help us create these international collaborations. It's very interesting. Um, but Bridget, perhaps I could ask you to tell us a little bit about Shoe Jazz. What is it that you, you all do? Thanks, Ben. Well, yeah, as you said, Farida and I work for Shujaz Inc. We're a network of social ventures based in Nairobi, Kenya. And we believe that young people can transform society for the better. And so our ventures are designed to break down the barriers that prevent young people from taking control of their futures. Farida and I both work on our multimedia youth platform, Shujaz, which uses the power of media and storytelling to engage millions of young people in conversations about the things that really matter to them and to provide them with the inspiration and motivation, ideas, networks, opportunities to start to take control. And our media reaches over 70% of all 15 to 24 year olds in Kenya. And in Kenya, we produce a combination of media, digital and large scale print media. We currently print over 300,000 comic books every month. And in Tanzania, we reach over 2 million young people with our digital media platforms. Um, our media is designed to trigger large-scale conversations amongst hundreds of thousands of young people about the topics and ideas that they may, might not feel confident to discuss elsewhere. And as they have these conversations, we're able to track how their attitudes and perceptions start to shift. And so this might be around topics to do with contraception use. It might be about choosing a career in agriculture, or it might be getting vaccinated against, against COVID. I've seen that Shoe Jazz, you know, as, as you say, covers a range of things. You you had an um, earlier this year a Get Out the Vote campaign um, that that was very visible, particularly on Twitter. Um, and and I just wondered if you could sort of set the context for us. Um, how connected are young people in Kenya and Tanzania, you know, to social media? Um, how much of it is how much is it part of their daily lives? Um, I actually think that a lot of young people in Kenya are connected to social media and just not in Kenya, but I'd say in both Kenya and Tanzania. Um, according to our annual survey that we did in 2021, around 47% of young Kenyans really actually do use social, they have access to social media and around 56% of those have access to the internet. Um, on the Tanzanian side of things, things are a little bit different. I know that it's about 20% um, of them are actually have access to the internet, but around a very small percentage of them have access to the, to the internet as well. So most of them really are using social media. With uh, Facebook really, Instagram being one of the most favorite uh, social media channels. Uh, TikTok is really coming up as well. So uh, there, is, there, is, there is access, but then again, I'd actually say that um, we should not look at social media just by itself because we know that there are other barriers really that do affect these young people because uh, young girls in rural areas really, um, they do not have access, they do not have the money. Uh, so data really becomes a huge uh, barrier for them. So you find that uh, it's really just not looking at what social media can do, but also what other activities both 
um, or grant activities and community-based um, activities that can be combined for young people to, for us to be able to reach young people. And, and I guess this is the sweet spot for shoe jazz as you look at um, that blend of, you know, the, the graphic novels, the cartoons, the magazines, plus the use of social media. Um, Green, could I ask you uh, maybe to give us a bit of context? What, what is the state of COVID to your mind um, across East Africa, across Kenya and, and, and Tanzania? Um, and and how, uh, how has the vaccine rollout gone for the two countries? Yeah, thank you, Ben. And uh, it's nice to share this. And uh, thanks to Bigot and Farida for the experiences they've provided. And uh, I would say uh, having this uh, discussion uh, to know how the vaccine uptake is going on, it's very situational and uh, we all agree uh, the way each country accepted the use of vaccine uh, by the time the COVID started. So uh, the acceptance and the movement towards uh, mobilizing the population and the community to have the vaccines has a different ways in different countries. And, uh, and so also in my country, uh, we have different scenarios uh, to start with the COVID uh, when it started and how the messages we are being given to the community. And uh, uh, we had a problem where our president, uh, uh, Magufuli, went. And then this change of political uh, also had a change on how uh, we address issues on the COVID uh, response. So today I can say uh, the response is great and uh, we are trying to actually fight on how best do we reach the messages to those who are in need, uh, are demanding the vaccines uh, all over. So I guess it might be the same happening to other countries like Kenya, just how best you prepare ourselves on uh, making sure people are getting informed and they decide on what to take and where they're available. So I can say availability now is good and uptake is coming up. It's just for the authorities, uh, government with other stakeholders to make arrangements of making sure everyone is reaching uh, and getting the vaccines where they are. Yeah. Do you know, it's uh, the question of um, government leadership is one that I think has been a challenge pretty much all over the world, with perhaps mm. the exception of mm. uh, New Zealand, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. a, a question, a further question for you, Green. Outside of COVID, um, obviously, a lot of work that you've done, other colleagues have done to sort of make vaccine access, vaccine acceptance, sort of part of the fabric of uh, healthcare service delivery. Um, so how far do you think, you know, the countries uh, in Eastern Africa have gone in being able to have a, a good foundation um, of vaccine acceptance? Yeah, uh, what I would say uh the vaccine acceptance has been raising up. And uh, in my country, it is clear seen. And uh, it's just a matter of how the government plus uh, the stakeholders whom are working with, they are planning and coordinating uh, interventions for the uh, vaccination services. But acceptance is there. But to the best on how best do we arrange to make sure every community are being reached with vaccines in the facilities? So there are some challenges that are coming up in terms of making sure vaccines are available to where people can reach them and how possible are the communities being reached by the health facility workers to make sure 
they are also getting vaccine from where they are. So we have some challenges, but uh, I guess with the community acceptance which we have on other vaccines, despite of talking on the COVID, but with other routine vaccines, uh, the acceptance is still high. It's just for the arrangement and planning to make sure they are reaching them and they, they are getting the vaccines to increase the access of it. So in putting together this project, Drew, how did Upswell become involved? Um, what brought you into this partnership with Shoe Jazz? So uh, it's great to be here. Thank you uh, for that question. And uh, we came in because we were supporting uh, many of the organizations who were using social media to run these types of campaigns. And um, and that was really when I, I really came across Shoe Jazz and and frankly, got very excited about the work that, that you all do um, when it comes to a medium like social media. And I think probably offline as well, content is, as the saying, as the saying goes, content is king. And um, Shoe Jazz has amazing content. And the, the reach and the engagement and the trust, uh, and I'm going to say the relationships that Shoe Jazz has with their target audience is pretty unprecedented. We work with lots and lots of organizations all around the world, helping them leverage social media and social strategies for this type of work. Uh, and so when when I, I didn't know much about Shoe Jazz before this, but immediately was pretty stunned by, by the kind of the relationship and the un- their understanding of the target audience. So I was brought in to support them um, Kind of as they as they saw fit, as they needed and, and wanted to engage, uh, and any questions that they had specifically with regard to, in this case, Facebook and Instagram. Um, and so I, I honestly just uh, I saw it and was like, I I have to watch this. This is going to be really interesting. Um, so yeah, came in and and the focus of our efforts on this particular project. So there's times where we get in, very involved on the creative side. Um, we're not a creative shop, but we, you know, we help organizations with creative strategy. But in this case, it was really around how you measure this. How how can you, um, you know, what they did there is different than what most is in the same way their audience. I mean, they have a they have all these really unique sort of benefits um, as an organization with so much reach with this audience, with so much trust, with so much community. That what they did, and I'm even going to say what they were able to do, most organizations wouldn't even begin to be able to try to do. Um, so what what the big one of the big challenges is how do you then measure that? Um, because what they're doing is different than anywhere else. Um, so you know, getting creative as to how do you actually measure measure whether or not what they were doing worked, um, you know, to the degree that you possibly can. And so that that was really, um, it, I think, I mostly was just a thought partner in trying to help them, you know, think through how you do that, um, and then provided just a, a few little technical bits to support them in the process. But their team, I, honestly, Florida and you, you guys and, and Bridget, your team is amazing. I mean, the stuff that you were doing was absolutely fantastic. So I, I would say they didn't need a ton. Uh, they didn't need it nearly as much uh, as much help as, in some ways, I would have been happy to provide because this is a really cool project. And I think the um, the real sweet spot here is this, I mentioned it, this blend of uh, digital and traditional um, um, media. And, and I wonder, Bridget and Farida, you know, you had this heritage in, um, in health and empowerment of young folk. 
Um, was there something particularly about COVID that made you think, hey, we really need to step in here. We need to bring the tools of what we've developed to this issue. Yeah, Ben, well, I'll, I'll go first, Rita. I can pass it over to you. I just think, you know, Shujaz is in constant conversation with young people. You know, we're constantly listening to them, um, whether that's sort of in person, going out and meeting them where they are, or we're talking to them on our SMS platform or on social media. Um, and, you know, it was evident that the lockdown measures in Kenya and Tanzania um, and COVID was having a massive effect on young people on every single area of their life. Um, and probably least on their on, on their health, as one would, you know, perhaps expect during a, a, a health pandemic. But that schools being shut, colleges being shut, the social distancing measures, we have a, had a curfew in Kenya. Um, I think particularly in Tanzania, the confusion of what's happening, you know, a, a president denying COVID, getting international news saying there is COVID, relationships being challenged, jobs being lost. It was affecting every area of young people. And I think as a result of having are sort of an established and trusted brand. She just has been in Kenya for over 10 years, over five years in Tanzania. We saw young people turning to us to sort of say, what's going on? And we need some help and we need some ideas. And it was sort of, it was almost as if this is what she just has been, has been you know, getting ready for. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. We knew this was, an, this was an opportunity for us to really meet young people with, with, with what they needed in a really difficult time. Farida. And actually just, yeah, just just to add on to what Bridget has said, really, when you look at COVID, it, it affected young people's like our lives in all different aspects, whether it's from a financial perspective, from a governance perspective, from a social perspective, like uh, you being able to hang out with your friends, you being able to uh, make money, um, you how you interact with the government, also how the government is really managing the whole um, the whole pandemic. So it really does touch on every single aspect of the young life. So there is no way because within Shujaz, that is all we do. If there is an issue that is affecting young people, then of course, uh, that is what we, we need to talk about. So definitely we couldn't shy away from it. So what I propose we do is look at the short reel that Shujaz put together. Um, and then let's talk a little bit more about what you actually implemented. So bear with, and let's hope the technology works. In March 2021, Kenya began its national vaccination campaign. But after more than a year of restrictive COVID-19 measures, young East Africans were feeling frustrated and deprioritized. Their trust in official public health directives were lower than ever. In partnership with Imaginable Futures, UMSISI and the Vaccine Confidence Fund, we set out to create an ambitious multimedia campaign to change the story and mobilize millions of 15 to 24-year-olds as powerful advocates for vaccination in their communities. The first year of the pandemic had proved that top-down official public health messaging just wasn't working. Instead, we designed hashtag LindaFarm, that is Protect Your Family, an innovative peer-to-peer -peer online, on-ground and print media campaign. Our campaign was brought to life by an on-ground network of over 4,500 young community influencers, that is our superfans, and a new team of established youth micro-influencers. Together, they helped to share powerful personal stories about why they had chosen to hashtag Linda Farm by getting vaccinated. 
our Influencer Network ran weekly Connect Live online community meetups and discussion groups, creating safe spaces to share their experiences with their peers and to have their questions answered by health officials and build their confidence to get vaccinated. On ground, our superfans helped to ensure that our hashtag LindaFarm print comic books reached 7.7 million young people, that's nearly 71% of 15 to 24-year-olds in Kenya. Online, we reached over 18 million young people across Kenya and Tanzania with powerful norm-shifting hashtag LindaFarm campaign stories, helping to drive footfall at in-person vaccine drives. By February 2022, 85% of young Kenyans surveyed via SMS said they would recommend the vaccine to their friends, and 96% of young Tanzanians believed that the vaccine is important to prevent COVID-19 in their communities. By the close of the campaign, millions of young people had called on to their communities to hashtag #WhyChanjo, that is, to get vaccinated. Well, terrific, and we'll put the uh, the link in the show notes. But uh, immediately, Drew um, and Green, what are your reactions? How did you react to that? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I have a, a, a feeling, and uh, this is how uh, we we need to understand that uh, each target group has its different ways of understanding. And now you can see from the survey they did that most of them, they're accepting the vaccines. So is how do we make sure that uh, the messages are reaching them? So the top-down uh, drop of the messages can, may, may not work sometimes. Uh, so you have to find a mechanism on how best you can reach them. They have their network. So if you find champions and you work for them, they can help to spread the messages. So using social media is one of the key because most of them, they're interacting. So if one interacts with the social media and maybe has a question on a certain thing, and if he gets the clarification, then it's possible for him or her to give information to another person. So that's how you can be spreading the information and getting the right information to people to decide on the uh, vaccine uptake. So this is what we are experiencing even in Tanzania, that uh, we thought maybe people are not accepting the vaccine. But with social mobilization, we are experiencing people are coming for the vaccines. And the more you vaccinate, it shows like a network is increasing for themselves to mobilize and come for the vaccination. So what comes up is now for us to make sure what is supposed to be available. The vaccines are in place. Workers are ready for the vaccination. Sites have already identified so that the people who demand vaccines, they also access the vaccines. Because if they don't get it, then they will be, okay, no, they're not stable. The provision of services is not stable. So we are ready to get, but uh, there is no service. So the same message can go back to their social media. No, nowadays there's no vaccine. Maybe there is something behavior which we experience, which is not good. So all of these components, you have the vaccines, you have people who can deliver the right message, but you have the channel of communication, of making sure the people whom you want to get service are well informed, and if they demand the service, is that the services are already available. So this is the feeling that I'm getting mm. from. So thanks very much for the uh, update. Welcome, uh, Drew. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think that um, you know this is a it's a unique audience, and I think uh, Bridget, you your your understanding and passion for this audience um, is is super clear. To me, I mean, uh, the fact that you have a print publication that you can reach 71% of a population with is is in itself a pretty phenomenal thing. And then to take that and to translate that to, you know, as Green was saying, also into um, uh, uh, overall sort of social interactions with people, whether it's via social media, um, you all of these, uh, what you guys uh, call your super fans, which are just you know individuals with their own networks, right? So it's like the ultimate in micro uh, micro influence. Yeah, you know, it's as as Green was saying, um, you know, as the more people get vaccinated, the more people will get vaccinated, right? Because they talk to friends, and it's you know it's it's tapping into into the networks of 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 every individual as their own influencer. Um, so I, I I think that the the on the ground work is just phenomenal. Um, the you know the meetups and those social gatherings. So it's not just a matter of distributing the the um, the, the comic books, which I think are are in themselves really great. I mean, you have this really avid um, uh, readership uh, in in these countries. But I think that that the fact that you also did meetups, that, that you're thinking about mobilizing your audience as a channel, right? So your audience is the channel is I think is in itself again very unique and and really powerful particularly for this for this audience. I think it's probably powerful for other audiences too, uh not just the youth, but mm-hmm. I think it's particularly I would almost I mean I almost want to say it's probably the only way to really move this <laughs> to really move this audience is to really embrace this idea of friends. Um I mean friends um I have I have uh, people, my, I have uh, kids this age, and I can tell you, their their friends are very, very influential and very important to them. Um, and I would, I, you know, I won't say they're more important than me to them. I hope, but I will say that there are many times where their friends are more influential than I am. And so I think that it's, um, I think it's, it's, it's really, I think it's really is powerful. And, and what you guys did, and what you guys do all the time, I think is just amazing. Obviously, as I keep saying. <laughs> I mean, from from my Thank perspective, you. I, I got to say, I feel envious. Um, I think this campaign, this approach could have been so helpful um, out here in California or indeed hearing my niece and nephews in the United Kingdom. You know, this kind of integrated approach that engaged in conversation just <clears throat> really was, was missing. So, Bridget, Farida, can you walk us through how you created this campaign? I think uh, it definitely starts from, first of all, getting to understand where the young people are at. So we do this thing that we call the ground truth, and it's all about, uh, it doesn't matter what the, the campaign we want to run is about. So first, let's get to understand what are the target audiences' feelings about it? Uh, where do they stand in it? And for this particular one, of course, we did that, just getting to understand um, what, are, what are the motivations for young people to not get vaccinated? At the same time, what are the motivations for young people to get vaccinated? Uh, getting to understand how do they, what do they think about uh, vaccination? What do they think about COVID? Uh, is it something that's relatable? And then now from just understanding those things, at least now we get to understand what those barriers are. Um, and now from there, actually, I do remember from, from this particular campaign, we actually came out with three key insights where we get, we've got to understand first. And I think it's actually one of the things that I had spoken about earlier. There is huge mistrust in the government both um, Kenya and Tanzania, that is a huge barrier. 
and the campaigns that are coming through, of course, were both from ministry, uh, the Ministry of Health. So that means the young people do not trust it. Uh, the other key element about it was just the lack of role models. We did not have enough young people uh, who are actually coming out to speak confidently and say, I have been vaccinated and I've been vaccinated because of ABCDA. I, and the other key element was the, the, uh, the community, uh, because there, there, were, uh, there were a lot of people parading a lot of myths and misconceptions around it. So there wasn't that, uh, those trusted sources, there was, there was lack of information, uh, and then again, now this idea of myth. So with those three key uh, barriers that we, we, we found out, then we decided let's, let's create a position strategy. And the position strategy really was on uh, trying to break those barriers, that, have, that, that uh, the three barriers that I've talked about. And here now we decided let's start a campaign where we are telling real uh, fictional stories of um, fictional and real life stories of young people who've decided to get vaccinated. Uh, the first thing by the, by the fictional stories here, I'm talking about the use of the Shujas characters themselves, uh, sharing their stories as uh, why they have decided to get vaccinated, what exactly is pushing them to get vaccinated. Uh, at the same time, then we also decided to have the stories now of the positive deviants. Uh, the young people also that we met on the ground who had decided to get vaccinated, we decided, let us tell their stories on, uh, on our social channels as well. And then at the same time, we also brought in this uh, community of influencers, uh, young people who have uh, influence for uh, young people online. And here we were looking at what um, there were a combination of artists, uh, musicians, comedians, and it's just young people that really people do look up to. And uh, we, we ran this campaign where it was about um, get vaccinated, uh, talk to your friends about it, and also encourage your, your peers and your elders to get vaccinated at the same time. So it was just through the powerful storytelling that um, got us to, um, to the kind of, of impact that we had with this particular campaign. Bridget, anything that you would add to, to that? Yeah, I just I I think again, you know, just going back to the fact that, you know, using, you know, true stories, but it, it has to have an emotional resonance. And I think what we saw across the board was that there was just so much coming in here. Information fact. And you can fight fact with fact, you can fight belief with belief, but an emo someone's emotional truth is really hard to 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 to, to challenge. And so, you know, she does it's all about being authentic and real. And so sort of being able to sort of share stories which trigger an emotion, whether that's empathy or regret or excitement in this case, an opportunity and hope, hope for a you know better future post-pandemic. That's where we were sort of really seeing the traction. And I think you know, I'm sure Ben, you'll want us to sort of talk about what worked and what didn't. But I just think the power that we saw, particularly in those fictional stories, for people to sort of distance themselves a bit from the relentless, I think this, you think that, and kind of be able to have a little bit of distance and see it played out, whether it is the loss of a loved one through COVID or someone, you know, sort of regretting a decision or making a decision and be able to have a little bit of distance to be able to kind of like look at that, explore it, say how you feel without fear of being you know, fear of being judged, fear of hurting someone's feelings, fear of being of letting someone down was really, really powerful. And I think like Frida said, this bringing it into the community, so equipping young people who wanted to be agents of change. This is the thing. It wasn't sort of like we weren't making a demand. We weren't forcing. They were putting their hands up and saying, we want to do something. We want to support our, our community. So we're able to create content, you know, fun packaged information, facts, where to go and get a vaccine. But also we work with other um, organizations who were able to su supply masks or hand washing stations or information about where the ne nearest vaccine drive is. And these young people, they became the kind of the, 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 the sort of the, yeah, the change agents, the role models within the community. And it was that, and then, then we would tell their story back in social media and it was sort of full circle. 
Um, and yeah, it was, it felt very, very sort of cohesive and therefore, fingers crossed, quite impactful. I'm really interested in the hashtags that you developed. Uh, hashtag LindaFam, uh, which means protect your family, and hashtag Waichanjo, which means get vaccinated. How did you come up with these? Um, and, and and I get the sense, having looked at um, the tweets, the Twitter flow, how this worked on Instagram, that this really resonated. But but how did you how did you see them being used? So I think actually. Uh beginning at how exactly we came we came um, around to it is that um, I think it just goes to speak again to the empathy that Bridget is talking about, like how do we connect with them in an emotional space? And when we got to understand that young people really do care about um, protecting the elderly, because that was a big thing for the uh, for the Kenyan space. Uh, young people really wanted to protect their grandmothers, their, their parents, and that idea of let us protect our families really, at least now you make them care about something more than just themselves. So the idea of, the idea of Linda Farm started from there. And uh, the one thing that I do remember when uh, the campaign now really started picking up, we actually saw loads and loads of other young people actually picking up this particular campaign and especially the one around vaccination because uh, the way the the way campaigns had been run, run and around vac- uh, on vaccinations in Kenya, it was again Ministry of Health. It was about go get vaccinated; it's mandatory. And then we actually there was there like the Ministry of Health did not even think of partnering with young people or even these um, influencers or celebrities to actually run this particular campaign. And Shujaz was the first one to start uh, to start uh, partnering with celebrities to run this particular campaign. And I do remember even other people that were not even other celebrities that were not even partnered with. They also decided to start using these um, the, the white chanjo, especially they started using white chanjo. And I do remember in an instance of one month, uh, white chanjo had become sort of a pop culture, if I may, if I may, if I may say so. We had young people actually saying white chanjo and then doing the um, let me get vaccinated thing. So I think just the 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 us partnering with those sort of people who have a lot of influence to young people really did help a lot. There's one other feat. Oh, yeah. I think also Ben. Sorry, Ben. No, I was just going to say, um, just going back to something, just building on, on what Farida said, but also that that Drew mentioned. You know, we a huge part of the work that we do is sort of constantly tracking whether the campaigns are having the impact that we that that that, that we hope they do, um, and therefore we need to track it and measure it. And so the hashtags are also a useful tool to do that. Can we see? like Farida said, that people start using it, start talking about it. We can measure how much engagement we're getting. So they're quite a practical tactic, as well as something that hopefully sticks in young people's minds and they can start to own. Another feature of the campaign, um, and you mentioned it explicitly in the in the showreel, is that you clearly saw your audience, young people in Kenya and Tanzania, as agents of change, as change leaders, um, and that they would influence not only their friends, their peers, their colleagues, uh, their school friends, they would they would influence and change the views of their elders, their parents, other people in the community. And this is something that we've seen across a number um, of the projects that we've profiled uh, on VaxUp. And I would be really interested to know if you if you deliberately went in with that as an idea, um, or whether this was something that emerged as you were doing this sort of interaction between social and, you know, in-person outreach. Well, Ben, we'd um, we'd actually trialled it um, a few years before. We call it pester power. 
um, as parents. I'm sure we're all familiar with it. But um, we were trying to see if we could increase um, adoption within households of mobile um technology and mobile financial services particularly and young people obviously <laughs> on the whole tend to feel that they're they're not up to speed with tech and feel a bit alienated from it um and yet there are huge you know huge uh huge, hugely useful applications on mobile phones particularly around managing money and uh and young people are very savvy with it and young people want to be respected by their elders and they want but they want to you know be able to tell them good stuff so being able to sort of like engage young people let them, you know, help make, make sure that they're understanding what are the late, latest services and how can they help your parents? And then almost giving young people a script with which to use to sort of go, mum, dad, you know how maybe you're struggling with school fees or repaying this loan. Here's, here might be a solution. And, um, and we, and, and it had a huge, um, a huge impact. So we, we knew that, we knew that that worked. Um, so we know that first of all, the young people want to influence and be listened to and, and, uh, sort of, um, uh, yeah, respected by elders, their parents, um, and, 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 on, and also, but they also sort of need to know what am I supposed to say so that I'm not going to get it wrong. And so it's all about, for us, it was sort of about equipping it and then modeling that behavior in the media. So sort of actually cr creating stories that show a young person who really adores their grandmother, um, speaking to the grandmother and, the, and overcoming maybe some barriers from a reluctant grandfather and then, you know, sort of playing it all out. Um, uh, yeah, and just seeing, giving young people the opportunity to really be those change agents within their communities. So let's talk about Again, impact, shall we? Hang on, Drew. I'll come on to you in a second. Let's, let's talk about yeah. impact. And actually, Drew, I wanted to, to start with you on that. Um, you helped the project um, identify and utilise some of the existing um, evaluation techniques available on social media. Um, what did you see? What What sort of stood out to you from the evaluation side? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer that, but I want to really quickly <laughs> build on something that Bridget or, or, or shine a light on something that, that both uh, Bridget and Rita are saying that again, I think also are quite unique here is that the, the, it, it, we're talking specifically about the use of the hashtags, but the way you all are approaching creative and content and your audience is very clearly, again, we're, we're hearing this over and over, that it wasn't about getting this message to them. It's about empowering them, right? It's about actually giving people information, not just that they need, that we need to, you know, beat them over the head with, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, but in fact, giving them the, the information, the knowledge, the motivation, the ability to actually carry that message forward also. So it's in, in every way, I think in, in the DNA of the work that you guys do, it's this idea that your messaging is about empowerment, right? It's about enabling these young people to do what they already want to do, which is take care of their friends, take care of themselves, take care of their families. And I think that is just so incredibly powerful. And that's something that I just will tell you, we don't hear enough of in this sector is understanding and treating your audience as a channel, right? Your, your audience was the channel. Your communication was there to empower them, to enable them, to motivate them. And I think that is, I think, really, really unique here. And with that in mind, you then have to think, okay, well, what does that mean? So how do we measure that? A traditional campaign where we're just, uh, you know, much measurement is we show a piece of content and then we ask them if that content was influenced them, right? Here's a message that has these facts in it. Now, how likely are you to want to get vaccinated, right? So very, it's a very different thing 
to show, you know, is this persuasive to you? Does this change your attitude about vaccines or does this change your, uh, you know, ability to get vaccinated or, or what have you? It's, you know, that that's kind of a traditional message that we think of sort of a public service announcement. We craft the message. We, we and, and even from a measurement standpoint, literally, it'll be like we're going to test these three different ones and we're going to see which one is most persuasive. And because of the of the work that you all are doing within this target audience, that method of measurement is not going to work necessarily as well. Um, the mm-hmm. other challenge to the measurement of what of the work that um, that that you all did is that so much of what you were doing was organic. So as soon as in most measurement, the way the way a lot of measurement is done on social media and, and off is you create control groups that are not being treated. Right. You have treatment groups and control groups. And in your case, you're you're inherently creating viral content that's going to contaminate your holdout audience. Right. Even if you had a, a group of, of young people that you were not treating, there's a very good chance they're going to hear it from their friends. They're going to see it, you know, on the in the news feed because there's so much organic activity happening. It's not it isn't as controlled when we do paid only reach where we're guaranteed we're only going to reach this audience and no one else. And so now we can, we can, you know, we can interview people over here. We can interview people who've been treated and not. You guys didn't, that, that doesn't work quite as well here. Um, so that what we did, we did test, we tried using some of the traditional uh, measurement tools that do that, like measure the treatment, you know, okay, we've got this audience that's been treated with the content. Let's, let's survey them. And uh, we'll also try to survey people who weren't treated and I actually don't know that we succeeded at that because I think that that your content was spreading so much that I think we that we were probably we, both the treatment and the control group were probably being treated. I guess I would say, and, and thus you know we end up with the the end measurement on those types of tools just aren't going to be a great measure. the The other side of the work that you guys did, and and, and this was not my idea at all. I, I supported it in in some minor ways. But I think that the work that you did around analyzing the conversation and the change of conversation over time was really interesting. Um, I've only seen that done a few times as well. But I think that was really an innovative way to, to it's almost more of a quant, uh, more of a qualitative measure of the campaign. We often think more in terms of just quantitative, um, you know, like how many people did this? And I think you guys were, were doing some things more on the, quali- on the on more qualitative that was really interesting. Um, so I, that's, I, I, to me, those are the things that I think we were kind of unique challenges that you all faced here. And I thought that the, that your, the use of the, the analysis of the conversation was, was, was innovative and, and, and wise. And I thought it was really interesting. Um, anyway, that's my, that's kind of my take when I think about the measurement side of this. So a question for, for Rita and Bridget, um, what did you learn were there things that surprised you? Were there things that you would have done differently? Um, and, and particularly, did you see differences between Kenya and Tanzania? Um, it may, may go fast and then Bridget, of course, will chime in. Um, I, I, I remember, yeah, definitely um, it, was, it was an interesting campaign for us to, to run it. And I do remember one of the things that really does stand out, and I remember quite distinctly, was the idea of uh, the use of language and how young people use language. Uh, we know on the Kenyan side of things, we use Shen, which is a combination of English and Swahili. And it's, it's very nuanced, actually, towards different regions of Nairobi. 
Uh, but then of course, on the, on the Tanzanian side of things, uh, it's pure, pure Swahili. And uh, one of the things that we can realize is when the conversations were happening, uh, if young people are actually responding you to uh, responding to you in Sheng or in English, they want to imply different things. If they're having a conversation with our characters in Sheng, it's because they want to have an authentic conversation. The moment they start using English, then that's why they, they're trying to tell you the more of the normal, uh, what is expected of them from the society. And the same thing actually also happened in, 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 uh, in Tanzania as well. We'd actually see that uh, when young people are using that Swahili that they speak, the conversational Swahili they use, then that is when they're having those authentic conversations. However, the, the moment they start switching to conversation or even a language that anyone else could read into, anyone else could understand, they become very sarcastic. And um, so essentially they're not giving you the authentic, uh, the authentic. So I think... Uh, that was one of the actually key elements that uh, I, I really did stand out as we were running this uh, this campaign. Um, the other one, of course, it's um, the power of role models uh, and the power of uh, having conversations that are peer-led. Because the moment that you are using, uh, when, when you're telling stories of other young people who are going through similar things to you, then it is easy for you to have a conversation. Uh, however, when it's more instructive, when it's very top-down, then that is not a conversation that, that is, uh, you will not actually have uh, any any um, valuable conversation. Um, I'm sure Bridget has a few more that she can add on to. Yeah, no, thanks, Frida. I think you've really you know, covered the important things. I think a few lessons for us, we've known, we it was quite new for us to work with some of the more sort of conventional sort of self-described influencers. So we normally work with our own network of micro-influencers who are just, you know, passionate, <laughs> diehard shoe jazz fans. Um, and I think it worked really well, but I think what we, what we learned along the way was about really sort of having to spend more time with, uh, with the sort of the more sort of established influencers so that they really sort of stayed on script and don't sort of go down the kind of suddenly becoming slightly kind of preachy and didactic and you know I, I'm, I'm I've been brought on to tell you what to do um so that was a really that that that, that was interesting uh interesting for us um and I yeah I just think with any of the when, with any kind of communication campaign it's the balance of sort of making it feel engaging and interesting and important without suddenly you know, like relentlessly sort of shoving it down people's throats and I think when there's a when we're thinking oh gosh you know Drew's there measuring our engagement and wanting to know how many people are engaged with the campaign they're going to tell us if it worked or not there's a sort of there, there, there's a tendency to kind of go do more do more do more but actually trying to sort of like and then if you do go too far and you know, people are like all right already we've got the message what is there is there is there a some agenda that we can't see and so for us it's always about sort of like you know getting the balance right and um uh but i think to, to, your, to your question ben about kenya and tanzania you know the contexts were completely different. You know, in Kenya, we had very impressive, very quick, rigorous uh, lockdown measures, curfews, have to wear a mask, etc. In COVID, in Tanzania, sorry, you know, the president was saying there is no such thing. And so we were certainly not, and we never do, but, you know, even more so in this context, we're not able to kind of apply the same strategy and principles to both. Um, but, you know, Tanzania, caught up and we were able to share the learnings that had what would have worked well in, in Kenya in, in Tanzania. So one final question for you um, about impact and it's where the rubber hits the road I guess. In the video you talk about driving footfall to vaccine centres. So how were you able to measure that and do you think you were able to correlate in some way uh, the impact of the social and the more traditional 
um, in-person and graphic novel interactions, leading to increased vaccinations. So um, I, it's raining heavily, so I might be shouting a little bit. Um, but the thing is, how, how we had actually fashioned the campaign is like we wanted, first of all, to start from that aspect where um, we let's get young people to understand that COVID is actually real in Kenya. Let them know and say, yes, there is COVID. People are dying because of COVID. What exactly does that mean? And within that, now get to them after now they're uh, getting them to accept. Now it's having those real conversations about uh, what if uh, what impact does it have on your life? Are you seeing it um, uh, within your hood? What exactly are you seeing? Are you seeing people are affected? How are they affected? Let's have conversations around that. And then now let's have conversation around vaccinations. And now it's uh, the idea of uh, having these peer-to-peer -peer conversations uh, positive stories of positive deviance. And then the last element of the campaign, how we had fashioned it was after people saying, yes, I would like to get vaccinated, then if they raise their hands, where are they going to get vaccinated from? So as much as the first three were actually happening from a social media perspective, then we knew that it's very, very important for us to actually partner with organizations. Um, we partnered with the Minister of Health, where we actually um, had a, a vaccination drive. We got young people and we told them, uh, we advertised that event on social media for like two weeks. We're telling them on the um, on this particular day we're going to be having a vaccination drive. If you are on social, tell your friends and tell your friends and tell your friends to to come and get vaccinated. Bring your parents, bring bring your friends. So that is how we are looking at it. And one of the things, of course, just to make sure that the people who are coming on board, at least they are coming from social media. There was a question that we were asking. Uh, the young people, as they, came, as they came through the doors, where did you hear about this vaccination drive from? So at least that was one of the ways just to understand the impact that the social campaign had on what was happening on the ground. Green, a question for... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And a couple of other things. Oh, sorry, Ben. No, I was going to just add 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 some numbers to to what Frida said. And, you know, so I think, you know, ben, uh, Drew sort of mentioned about this, of the... the the, the tracking of the campaign over time. And by the end of the campaign, which was quite short, um, in Kenya, 85% of our audience said that they'd recommend the vaccine to their friends. And in Tanzania, I think 96% of them said that they believed the vaccine was important to um, to pr protect their, their their loved ones, their family, their community from, from COVID, which is a significant increase in both. And so I think that's ultimately where we got to. And again, the, the, the recommend bit being really important because it speaks right back to us of theory of change around peer-to-peer yeah. -peer conversations. And I guess where I was going to go, go next, Green, you're a vaccine implementer. If you put your Sabin Boost community hat on for a moment, what do you think are the key takeaways for the Boost community, for other vaccine implementers? In, in having seen the Shujaz project in action? Thank you, Ben. Uh, uh, firstly, is, uh, uh, we need to have a respective care. Uh, we have different groups whom we want to provide the services to them, getting vaccinated, but also sending their uh, maybe children to get vaccines for the uh, children vaccines. But also we have older people who also need a vaccine. So if we have a kind of respective care, determining the demand and designing best ways of reaching them. And we should have identified what barriers do we have, what kind of motivation they have towards getting the vaccines or not getting the vaccines. So if we have those kind of identification of barriers, then we are able 
to design strategies for reaching them. So whatever we are doing is we as professionals, uh, we have the skills, but the means of transferring the services we need to the population has to consider also other kind of groups or stakeholders who have other skills to make sure what we anticipate to provide the vaccines to the community is also reaching there because it is not about having the commodity, but how the commodity reaches the person who needs to use the vaccine. So we as professional, we in the post community, and thanks enough that the boost is creating more uh, awareness to people on different approaches of making sure we provide services that actually are uh, reflecting the demand uh, for the people who need uh, the vaccines. So I would say this is one of the kind of approaches that has identified uh, young people as a special group. And with the vaccine for the COVID-19, people have the worries. And when the vaccines was available, people would think that I need to be vaccinated because I could not like to die. But am I sure that this vaccine is safe for me? So we need now this kind of group who can deliver the right message of assuring people that, yes, this vaccine is safe. You can take it. So if you have those champions, like Shujaz has done, to have identified some people who could understand and they could tell others that, please, we have the problem. The vaccines are safe. Let's all take the vaccines. If they are there and they can also spread to other because we have examples of people who have been taking vaccines and they have some time to check. If they are okay, then they tell others. They go at home, tell even their mothers, fathers, yeah, please, it is safe because even myself, I'm safe after taking the vaccines. So please also take the vaccines. So I think Shujas has tried to put in place mechanisms that can be used and not only for COVID but also for other vaccines and other health interventions, identifying the group, what they demand, how can we reach them, identifying the few champions who can lead others to get them the right messages and be in the position to take actions uh, towards the intended uh, uh, intervention that is being proposed. So to me, let us continue influencing the use of available resources in terms of people who can help in distributing the messages, community folks who have the power to influence others should be identified and be used to advocate uh, for uptake of various interventions, including the vaccine, as we are seeing now in the COVID, where the uptake is coming up. So it's a good message, and thanks to Shujas to have identified, narrated, uh, qualitatively and quantitatively, because data also tells. But the story itself on how people have been perceiving on this process is also key. But we should take into consideration of different geographical areas. We have people who have access to the uh, social media, yes, so you had to get some information from them. But we can also expand to see how best do we reach those who don't access social media. They might have different views because they don't interact that much on social media. And social media has also an effect on trying to put messages that are not right. And you must be in the position to put them in the right 
way of understanding it. So we have people who don't access social media. They might have also write questions, I mean, write messages, but they cannot add anyone on the media. So we must work on those sites, those on the media, those that are not in the media. We, we might design some mode of uh, but because you have the evidence in the site of the social media that we have identified people and they have clearly stated that maybe the COVID is a problem and they have accepted to take the vaccines and they will be they have been in the position also to give others to tell others please take vaccines so as farida has been saying then we need to collaborate we as designers and the, those who are in charge of making sure the vaccines are available those who are coordinating the implementation and the services are being provided all together with those who are designing messages kind of channel of communication to reach these to make sure these messages are being written so it will be very key because as we go we might be having other issues or other uh, conditions that might be coming that will require vaccines and we might be having a different group so accessing them and telling them the story they should access also vaccines it might be a different message so this is a good approach. We have evidence it and it can be used. Now, and we as professionals for the immunization, we are taking them positively and see how best we incorporate the skills we have with this kind of communications to make sure what we intend for the community to get to be vaccinated. They're actually getting vaccinated after all this combination of efforts. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Green. Well, I, I can see that we're getting up to the top of the hour. Um, and I think, you know, this just reflects the enthusiasm I think we all have for, my word, finally a project that really catches people where they are, that enthuses them, and that really delivers um, a kind of uh, informed engagement about how we can combat COVID through vaccine access. So, I mean, it really just remains for me to thank you all so much. I am quite sure that this is not the last that we have heard from Linda Pham, from Shujaz, absolutely, um, and really looking forward to seeing where you all go from here. So let me extend my thanks to Farida, to Bridget, to Drew and to Green. Thank you so much for being on the VaxUp podcast. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, everyone, and yes. congrats. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Vax Up podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in the show, please check the show notes or visit us on our website at www.vaxuppodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Vax Up Podcast. And please consider subscribing to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or on your favorite podcast platform. The Vax Up podcast is produced by Hunuvat and Newsdoc Media. Writer and producer is Troy Espera. Graphic design by Michael Jarrett. Narration by Sherry CB. And the executive producers are Eric Espera and Ben Plumley. Thank you, and see you next time.